Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 219. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very, very, very lucky this week to have a very special guest. I'm going to let you introduce him, Jackie. This is a friend of yours going back to your uh, film festival days. I'm going to let you do the introduction on this one. Yes, I had the pleasure of meeting Ricardo in 2018 when I was working my first Hamptons Film Festival. And we just clicked right away. He had the best playlist of 90s R&B that carried us through a very, very stressful festival. Um, And we are so lucky to have him back today because he is a multi-hyphenate. He works in wardrobe in the film industry. He's got an incredible list of credits under his belt. He is an artist and he is a Marvel stan. So we are so lucky. Please welcome Ricardo to Monoreal Radio. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here with you all today to talk all things Wakanda forever. (laughs) Yeah, this movie has so much buzz around it. It just dropped on Disney Plus this week. And for, like, so many reasons when the movie came out, so much buzz around it, right? Like, they're in the middle of writing a film without having any idea that Chadwick Boseman is as sick as he is. Which is just, I mean, we, we've talked about it on the show before. It's like such a credit to him that he kept it quiet for as long as he did, that he really didn't let anybody outside of his inner circle know. And Kevin Feige didn't know. Ryan Coogler didn't know. Nobody at Marvel knew. So the fact that he continued to work and the fact that they had to really tear everything down and start from scratch, which, like, on the surface is hard enough, but the fact that you are now dealing with this insurmountable loss of Chadwick Boseman I think a lot of us really didn't know what to expect walking into this film. What's really heartbreaking for me is that I think that the reason he wasn't telling anyone was because he wanted to do his next film no matter how he was feeling. And I'm sure that he was going to push through and do it no matter what. But this film was also set back by the pandemic. So who knows if, you know, he passed in 2020. So who knows if they would have been able to turn over the film in time. Um, But this just had everything working against it. And as we're going to discuss, I mean, they overcame so much to get this film out. No, absolutely. And I worked with Chadwick on 21 Bridges in 2019. That's right. it It was an amazing experience just being in the room with him and the Russo brothers. And this is like right after... Endgame, you know, right after Wakanda Forever. So I'm like literally in the room, like, and it was a small crew because we were doing reshoots for a movie. And um, just to be in the room with him and to not know what was happening, you know, to see him take those pauses. And, you know, when he would sit in his chair, he would just close his eyes and he would just do his breathing. And I had no idea what was happening. So this is an honor just to you know, have this conversation and be able to, you know, honor him kind of in this way to kind of talk about his story. So, Okay. Well, we have a lot of things to discuss today. Does this film feel like a natural sequel to the first, given what we went through? Do we feel that they did a proper job paying tribute to not only the character, but also the actor? 
Are we confident in the franchise moving forward? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Lost Weekend Co-Planners for Dreamers and Doers. These subtle Disney Day planners are inspired by Walt's creation of Disneyland and are designed to remind you of what can happen when one person fearlessly pursues their dreams. The 12-month planner contains annual goal-setting pages, monthly setup pages and habit trackers, plus a calendar view with inclusive holidays and magical dates in Disney history, weekly scheduling with plenty of space for writing, monthly and quarterly reflections, as well as end-of-the-year review pages. Pixie-dusted throughout are quotes from Walt Disney and other dreamers. The planner has a beautiful fabric cover that will fit any decor and is made with sustainability in mind from thick FSC certified recycled paper. And it comes in a keepsake box to hold park maps, tickets, and your favorite Disney memories. At the time of this recording, there are limited quantities of 2023 planners available. So head over to lostweekandco.com to order yours now or sign up for the newsletter to see all of the new products Lost Week & Co. will be launching this year. Following the death and funeral of King T'Challa, the Wakandans grasp with moving into the future without him as well as the Black Panther as the last of the heart-shaped herbs has been used and then destroyed, as we discussed in the first film. All right, usually I don't stop this early on. It's impossible not to stop this early on to discuss the opening of this film because I think that this is... For me, and I'm only speaking on behalf of myself and Ricardo. I'm definitely interested in getting your perspective on this as well, seeing as it, you know you just said that you had worked with Chaswick in 2019. Mm-hmm. Going in, this was like as the lights dimmed after we got through the opening credits. And I think we saw this at AMC. So Nicole Kidman went and did her thing, right? We've all seen that a thousand times. And so like we finished that up and like immediately I get the pit in my stomach because I'm not sure exactly. We know what's going to happen, but I'm not sure how they're going to pull it off. This by far, it's, it's not just the saddest open of any Marvel film. This is probably the saddest open of any film I've ever seen because as I'm watching Letitia Wright and Angela Bassett, I'm I, I, the whole cast, I don't think they had to act very much. I think that this was real, raw emotion. I agree. I have to imagine that they shot this first to get you know, before you're in the thick of production and before you're you're so focused. Um, I, I also think that's kind of the right thing to do by the cast is let them grieve and, and let them get it out so that they can move forward with the rest of the film. But just yeah. absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I, I'm kind of glad that they did it right up front and they didn't write it in later on in the film. Not in the sense of like, oh, good, they got it out of the way. But um, I, I think you just had to go for it at this point and let let the cast grieve and and let the fans grieve along with them at the beginning of the film yeah no it it literally was like you said uh sean the pit it was like we don't know what is gonna happen and so i felt like it was a it's like just we're gonna rip the band-aid off like we're gonna deal with the obvious and it kind of set the pace and the tone for the rest of the movie. They, I'm so happy that they did it this way because it, it paid so much respect to his, you know, his actual sickness. And he really didn't say anything. And so it was a great way for them to transition from what really happened because they didn't lie. Right. They didn't have to make up a story. This was the actual event of what happened. We didn't know he was sick. And... He passed, and so I, it was. It was a hard open. 
it was very hard, it was very emotional, but it was necessary to load that at the beginning of the movie. Absolutely. And I like that to your point, they didn't they they let it flow naturally that he was sick. It wasn't like, oh, you know, this was a battle and, and he was the panther and somebody got him. Um, yeah. but what they did do successfully where they managed to tie it to the first one, I think, is that um Shuri was trying to recreate the herb to save him. And as we obviously know, Killmonger destroyed everything when he was on the throne and, and he was the Black Panther because he never wanted anybody to succeed him. Yeah. Yeah, it made it was it totally made sense. I thought it was a very tasteful open. I thought the tribute was great. The the Marvel Studios open when I it was just him that. and you kind of just get that breeze in the background. Everything that they did, I think, was just spectacular. And they did actually go back and they put the new open with just Chadwick Boseman into the Black Panther uh, Marvel title card, too. Because mm-hmm. uh, I went back and I watched that, you know, just to just for a refresh. And um, I like that they changed it. Yeah. So so a year later, uh, Queen Ramonda refuses to give in to pressure to trade vibranium with other nations, despite some trying to steal it. The Dora Milaje continued to protect Wakanda in the absence of the Black Panther, and we learn that vibranium can be found in the ocean outside of Wakanda. While attempting to mine it, Navy SEALs are killed by... Uh, Namor and his water-breathing superhuman nation, his warriors. Ramonda, meanwhile, continues to encourage Shuri to continue her research to create a synthetic heart-shaped herb and bring back the Black Panther. Um, Let's go back to this scene in the UN, right? Uh, You feel so awful for the queen. She is now a year basically a year to the day, more or less, removed from losing her son, their king. Um, and now she's got the mounting pressure from all of these nations that are trying to take advantage of a very peaceful nation in Wakanda. So she's got the political pressure. She's got the personal pressure. Mm-hmm. All the while, they're trying to get the heart-shaped herb back, which, of course, nobody, nobody in in the UN is, is aware of, but like, you know, you just see the weight that she's carrying. This is why Angela Bassett's probably going to win an Oscar and she should. Yeah. Um, the weight that she carries, this scene is just incredible. Well, it's not just the loss of her son, but lest we forget too, she's also lost a husband. So it's just her and Shuri and she can hardly even just be a mother at this point because she has to deal with the political end of it. Um, but I love how her and Okoye just shut down the UN, especially yeah. France. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, uh, going back to um, uh, Queen Ramunda, you know, she was a mother. She is a mother. She's a wife. And you literally see the weight of the world on her shoulders, literally, because she's dealing with the loss of her husband, like you said, the loss of her son, and then she has to run this kingdom. And then she has to deal with, you know, um, them trying to invade for their natural resources. And so, I mean, what an amazing um, just moment, you know, the, 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 the speech that she made and, and how they just really owned that. I felt like it was, a, again, another good transition to bring us now into the world of Wakanda. 
Speaking of weight on her shoulders, I turned to Sean when we saw this in theaters and I was like, she needs an award just for her arms. Yeah. Angela Bassett's arms are just so freaking gorgeous. I, I just, she's incredible. She's absolutely incredible. What If the weight were going to be on anyone's shoulder, <laughs> it should be on hers because she can carry it. <laughs> she's amazing. What I love that they did here too uh, is the misdirect with the Tolokans where they made it seem like they were sirens when they attacked yes. the ship. So when, when they're revealed, you're just completely not expecting it because they, just on the audio alone, they have you thinking mermaids. And I think that that was done very intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was so, I thought it was so dope. First of all, I'm terrified of them. Like, the <laughs> I am terrified because they are fearless. But just how the buildup of the music was happening, I didn't even realize that it was that, like it was them singing it was like i just thought it was just like you know the music playing and so uh, just a great moment such a great moment yeah the, the exact word that i have in my notes is unsettling yes yeah right yes. so like underwater attack scenes in any film since jaws are scary right but yes. there is just something horrific about this because at least with jaws the scare came from the unknown because yeah. you didn't see the shark all that often, but when that score played, you knew that the shark was coming. In this case, yeah. you see nothing. It's pitch black. The yeah. one seal turns. The other one's missing. The cable is chewed up. It's snapped. Yeah. She screams. She's gone. Like now with these, you know, the sirens or what you think are going to be sirens. It, the, this is just it, the whole thing is so well done. It was it also super smart too because. In conjunction with the Wakanda Forever promos, we also knew at this point that we were getting the next Avatar, and there were so many teaser trailers and then regular trailers. There was just so much advertisement for it. I think we got a little desensitized to these creatures in the water just from seeing so much Avatar. So I think this was a really smart way to separate them as something different, being that they came out around the same time. Yes, yes. Even down to even down to the costume. Yes. Um, you know, um, a good friend of mine's was the department head for the hair department for the telecons. And so um, just to see the the intricacy on how they designed the costume, how the hair, they designed it, and all of this had to live on the water. Like, they did a phenomenal job. So just the way that they just brought it all in. And again, these are, you know, Namor is not a, a new character. You know, and neither are the Talokans or Kanians, Talokanians, you know. And so just the way that they introduced it, you know, it was just it was just so good. And I was literally at the edge of my seat and I was terrified again because they're very scary. They are. <laughs> Moving into the scene where Shuri continues to work in the lab, but she's basically working on everything except the heart-shaped herb. I love this entire thing. Because, yeah. obviously, we saw her trying to print one, and what did they say? It was like a 21% success rate when she tried to print the first one to save T'Challa. After that, she's given up on it. She calls the Black Panther a relic, but she gets herself so obsessed in developing the early... You know, you see the early development of the Midnight Angel, right? And she's yeah. doing everything else, but you could tell that... In most other films, this would seem like a trope where you're burying yourself in your work to distract you from your grief. But that, in conjunction with her mother, 
bearing the weight of the entire nation on her shoulders and watching the two of them go back and forth in her lab. It's mm-hmm. just so well done. And they do it in such a way where it it should feel like a trope because we've seen it a hundred times. But the way that they do it is just so completely different that you completely buy what they're doing here. Yeah. I also think it doesn't feel tropey because that's a part of Shuri's character. Part of the Black Panther's entire arc in the first film was that old versus new, where T'Challa is trying to honor the ancestors, honor what his father put into place, but also change with the times. And that's why he ends up, you know, in the end of the film, opening up Wakanda to the rest of the world. But mm-hmm. Shuri's thing was always technology, keep moving forward. So yeah. I think that this is just as much about burying herself in her work as it is about you know she said it you you said it just now that black panther's a relic i i think it's totally on brand and i totally believe that she would say that and be like all right that's in the past and and we're just going to keep going um but it's still very tough watching them grieve in this scene because again a lot of the first black panther was that T'Challa's death was a fake out. So we've sort of seen them have to go through this already, but now it's real and it's much, much harder. Yeah. Even even with um like when when you think of how the Black Panther T'Challa arose out of the grief from T'Chaka, right? From his father's death, you know, Siri with the Midnight Angels, I feel like this was her version of the Black Panther because the you know the the heart shaped herb didn't exist anymore. So what are we gonna do now? Like, are we supposed to just not have any heroes? Like, are we? And so I feel like that's where the Midnight Angels were birthed out of. It was her version of the Black Panther, you know. And I thought um, she did a phenomenal job. And it was just really it was and it it was the Midnight Angels are really like technology. The heart shaped herb in the Black Panther's like heart. And so there was like, not that the heart was missing from the Midnight Angels, but um, but it wasn't the Black Panther, you know what I mean? But it was her, it, it was almost like her baby, her her birthing, her version of the Black Panther. So I thought it was phenomenal how they had brought that in. It's kind of like a, 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 a juxtapose, if you would say, you know? Yeah, that's sure. a really great point. Yeah, yeah that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, that night as Ramonda takes... Sherry to burn their funeral gowns and end the mourning period for T'Challa. Namor arrives, having traveled underwater into Wakanda. He tells them that he stopped the vibranium mining operations, and in exchange he wants the Wakandans to protect his people. He also tells them that he wants them to deliver the scientist that created the vibranium detecting machine, or else he will attack Wakanda. Uh, Okoye convinces Ramunda to let her take Shuri to the U.S. to speak to Everett Ross, who tells them that the scientist is a student at MIT, Riri Williams. Namor at this point is great. I'll be honest with you. Like Now, I don't know... I know more about DC. Growing up, I, I read DC more than I read Marvel. What I know from Marvel, for the most part, is what we've seen come out of the MCU, come out of Marvel Studios. So I'm not as in touch with the back catalog. And so when I saw Namor for the first time, I thought, okay, I don't really know what to expect. I'm kind of setting my expectations low just because I have, I have no bias one way or the other, right? 
when he comes out of the water, it's like, okay, so he found this undetectable nation. He's with the queen and the princess as they're in this, you know, it's, it's, it's a morning ritual for the king, right? It's a part of the morning. He doesn't care. He's going to interrupt it. And then he basically says, either you protect me and you let me kill this scientist or I kill the scientist and I attack you anyway. Like, th- from that moment, and he's just, he's got no emotion. He's dead in the eyes. That, I think, is what makes a great villain in any film, but specifically when you get into the comic book movies where sometimes they can get a little eccentric, right? The dead eye look that he gives them, just in that scene alone, I, I didn't need to see anything else. I was completely sold on this villain. Yeah, and the way that he's playing it so straight and so calm he's in control he's not like a manic villain and I love that it it was something that I loved about Killmonger too was that there was so much reason behind what they were doing you buy into it it's it's almost like Thanos too where you know did he go about it the right way no absolutely not but like there's a part of you that kind of goes huh He's making a point, and I think that Namor, you know, sort of falls in, into that same category of, like, I'm, I'm totally buying what you're selling. Um, what I love about this introduction, too, is that it totally vindicates T'Challa's decision to open up Wakanda in the first Black Panther. Because we saw what happened after he did that. They brought the party to Wakanda in Infinity War, and it didn't end so great. But yeah. because Namor found them this was going to happen anyway. So it's better that they did open up to the rest of the world a little bit. They are involved in the UN. They do have a relationship with the outside world more so that this is not the first time, you know, they're under attack. And now they, uh, especially now with the loss of Chadwick Boseman, you don't have to write Ramonda and Shuri as the damsels in distress going to seek help. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like this was such a, a great um, introduction because we didn't quite see him before. We just saw like a silhouette of him. Yes. And so two things is um, the first thing is that I felt like ever since like you to your point where you said, um, you know, they had that battle and they brought it to Wakanda. Thanos brought it to Wakanda. So it was almost like it's really not a secret nation. Like and this is not the first time that an enemy has penetrated the walls of Wakanda. You know what I mean? And so I felt like if if Thanos' battle didn't happen, it would have been a bigger deal, you know? Yes. So this is not the first time we're seeing this happen. But then also, it had to be Shuri and Ramonda um, when they first had this meeting because together they represent the Black Panther. Shuri represents the technology. Ramonda represents the heart. And so it had to be both of them and him. It couldn't have been just him and Ramonda at first. It couldn't have been just him and Shuri. Um, it had to be both of them. So the fact that they did it that way, I'm like, they're, they're geniuses. They're, there's geniuses for having his introduction be face-to-face with the princess and the queen, who, again, makes up the Black Panther. Yeah, Tenek Mahia did an excellent job in this role. Excellent job. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm glad that obviously they left it open-ended with him, so you will see more of him in the future, which I'm very much excited about. For sure. Um, and I love that we get Ross back, because Ross, here's the thing, he's a likable character to begin with, but what this film needed and what they, what they accomplished as soon as we get to the U.S. is you needed a little bit of lightheartedness because obviously the, the film carries a very heavy tone for all of the reasons that we discussed. So you needed some lightheartedness. So when you get Ross, when you get Riri, when you get Okoye, when you get Sherry, there's a little, I don't want to go so far as to call it comic relief, but there's a little bit of comic relief, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that by getting him in here, I think they brought him in at the right time. I think that they used him in the right way. And I think that they lightened the mood at the right time so that it made the film something that you could... Not only are you going to mourn, not only are you going to be on the edge of your seat with the action, but it gives you a few smiles every now and again. And I think that that was very much needed here. I also love that they reintro him with Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was a big surprise because really until Love and Thunder, they weren't using any kind of like classic rock, any kind of pop culture references. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Even though it was subtle, it was in his headphones. Um, It was a little jarring to hear in a Marvel film, but they're slowly trying to creep in the popular Mm -hmm. music. So I really liked that. And I mean, and his, and again, he's still a necessary part of this story. Yes. You know, he was there in the first, um, you know, in the first Black Panther, and he played an intricate part. And if he wasn't a part of the story, it would be like one of the pieces would be missing. And um, and then again, it also gave way for Val to come in. And so, you know, for us to see her new role, you know. Um, in the government, you know, so I thought it was very smart and they didn't, it's like, they didn't take over. Um, They were very subtle, you know, Hey, we're still here. We're still a part of the story, but we're not the focal point. You know, the focal point is really on what's happening in Wakanda. And I think, you know, they did a great job. Every time I say anything, I'm going to talk about how much of a great job they did because they did a phenomenal job. It was a hard job. They had a hard task. Yes. You know what I mean? So, I think they did a great job. They really did. Yeah, and I love the very quick um, introduction to Riri Williams, played Mm -hmm. by Dominique Thorne. I love the fact all you see is her on the campus of MIT. She approaches the guy that never paid her on the Venmo. She immediately says the price went up because of his grade and just forces him to pay her on the spot. You didn't need to see anything else. This is how good that... I think this is how good the writing is in Marvel. This is what DC fails to do. Because you know what's... We're going to see Bruce and Martha Wayne get shot in every DC film. That's just what they lean on at this point. So, like, you you got to get away from that. And what Marvel does so well is they... At times, they will they will take their time to flesh out a character... And I'm, I don't want to call Riri a secondary character. She's not by any stretch of the imagination. But this isn't a character that you necessarily need to take a really long time introducing. That right. really quick introduction, she's smart, she's going to take no crap, and she's in complete control. That's what I got from her in 30 seconds. And that's the exact character you have for the entire film. I mean, they've sort of built to her because her reputation precedes her a little bit because they're talking about this brilliant scientist who built a vibranium detector. And but then you find out 
she's a 19-year-old student, and she kind of did this on a whim as a class assignment. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead because they give us everything we need to know. You're right in this little interaction with the Venmo. She's a hustler. She's not going to take your garbage. She's going to get the job done. And, and she's brilliant. I love it. It's such a strong. It's probably one of the strongest intros in the Marvel canon. I agree because again, not, she wasn't a secondary character, but, um, you know, it, the, how they, so what I love about the, the interaction between Riri and, um, and um, Shuri is that you can see that what it takes to be Iron Man, what it takes to be Ironheart, it's like she has Tony Stark's brilliance. She also has his, his um, attitude, his quickness, his sharpness. The same thing with Shuri. She has her brother's heart. You know, and and you know, and so just to see how they, you know, it's almost like we get our Iron Man fix without Iron Man actually being there. It's like the Gen Z version of Iron Man. You know what I mean? And so even how they play that, you know, how they introed her. She's on her college campus. She's Gen Z. So now we have Gen Z in this movie. We have millennial. You know, Shuri is a millennial, and then we have, you know, Ramonda. You know, just even seeing the generations and how they just use that as well to also bring in the new audience. Absolutely. You know, even with Ironheart, like, that is, it's a different generation that they're bringing in. They're introducing the Gen Z, the artificial, you know, Gen Z is like really art of the, the generation of artificial intelligence. And so I'm excited to see just from this little intro they gave her with her brilliance and how she's just quick and smart and just brilliant, how that goes into the Ironheart series. Like, I'm so excited for it. I'm, I'm not a Gen Z, but I'm excited to see how they use that, you know, this intro to really build on that. So, Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Riri tells Shuri that her vibranium detecting machine was a school project not a military project, and we learn that her safety has been compromised and that she must go to Wakanda for protection. The FBI arrives at her garage and chases them through the city of Boston. However, Neymar's uh, warriors arrive and capture Riri and Shuri, which, which leads to uh, Ramonda stripping Okoye's title as General of the Dora Milaje. In Boston, director Dave Fontaine arrives to look over the scene of the assault while Ross removes Shuri's beads from the scene. Um... I love, okay, I, I said I didn't want to call it comic relief, but I'm going to call it comic relief the minute you get a Koye on that college campus. Yes. You get her on the college campus, you get her in the garage, and it's fun to see uh, Denai Guerrera kind of like get to like loosen up a little bit because yes. we know her as a Koye. We obviously know her from Walking Dead, but it's fun to see her have a little bit more fun and show her sense of humor because she's her comedic timing is so underrated um and her delivery is so underrated that it's kind of fun to watch her let loose here right because when they did the korea mission in black panther she was all business she was yes. ready for that fight uh so this this was a lot of fun and and it was nice to see this sisterly relationship really start coming to the surface between her and Shuri. Um, I also love that, you know, we're talking about how strong of a character Riri is and how brilliant she is. We get reminded very quickly that she's just a kid because 
they sort of use reverse psychology, even though you're not going to outsmart her, let's be honest about that. But they sort of use reverse psychology to be like, you know what? You're smart. You built the machine. When Namor and his people come for you, you got it. We'll see you later. And it's like, all right, all right, I'll come. I'll well, come. What is she? You and your heater? Is that not the yeah, line? Because she's <laughs> like chucking stuff from her dorm at them. And then uh, Okoye pulls out her spear and she's just slicing it in half. It's great. It's brilliant. Which is crazy. And it, oddly enough, she said, what well, you and your heater. And that's exactly what defeated him. Like, it was the heater. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is crazy. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so, which is insane. So, um, so even that, uh, what I love about Okoye is that they always use her as comic relief because when they had the mission, she was talking about her wig, you know, the, yes. oh, this wig is. And then even in Endgame, you know, when Scarlet Witch came and she's like, why was she up there all this time? You yes. Know? <laughs> she's like, you could do all that, you know? And so I just love how they, you know, how they use her to bring that comic relief because she she's a the highest ranking you know in the, in the guard and um just to just to show that she has that side of her that can be you know that can be funny that can be nurturing that can be warm you know i think it, it's a good it's a good play for character so even her being a mother figure in this moment you know to shuri and to um riri you know i think it was a beautiful a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment. She's the, the you know, the stickler, but she can also be funny and nurturing. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to come with us. And I like what you all said about the reverse psychology because Riri is so smart. You almost have to like, because she didn't realize that yeah. she thought, it, again, she thought it was a school project. She didn't realize that the government was using her technology for their, you know, and so that is a good intro for her to, what's the bigger picture like you're smart you're doing these things but you have to understand that there's another agenda that's working and so yeah so dope i love that moment it was funny yeah and then you know they let you breathe a little bit you're thrown into the action with another car chase now yeah. riri and shuri are taken and they completely deflate the balloon because now we see we've just spent so much time talking about how amazing Okoye is and we've they've built her up and they've made her the comedy and now we're just going to come crashing down because seeing her stripped of her title and getting kicked out of the door melange is absolutely heartbreaking because you know that her title as general goes way beyond her job that she loves this family she cares about them she had a wonderful relationship with t'challa um you kind of feel like she has that same relationship with ramonda but now Ramonda's gonna remind us that you know it it's all business i gotta do what i gotta do and you took my last and and this is really the scene right yep. i mean she she was wonderful in the UN scene, but this is the Oscar scene. That's, that's, this is why. That's what I wrote. I said this is the award scene. Is my exact note. She Angela Bassett is so good in this scene. She crushes it because she does walk that balance between the needing to be the woman in charge, but also grieving mother. Because we really see it come out here. Yeah, and she. I mean, you know, at this point. You know, and I feel like they all, at this point, as leaders, have come to has have come to a moment like this, where they had to make a decision 
um, a very hard decision. And for Queen Ramunda, for her to just lose her daughter, and now if she if she if she didn't take away that title, she would have faced a lot of backlash from her people, and it would have made her look like her son. You know, when the same the same thing that happened with um, what's the guy the the guy that stole the vibranium from uh, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis's um, character with I, the I arm. Just watched. I want. Yes. I keep. Um, I want, he wasn't warmonger, was he? No. Um, because we had killmonger. I forget his name. I, we'll look it up. But uh, yeah, but it's, so but it's with a K. Um, it's like cool, cool or something like that. Like well. Can't, I can't remember his name, but the fact that they, when when he was in the proximity of the Black Panther, and he didn't, T'Challa didn't do what his kingdom wanted to do, he faced a lot of backlash for that. And I felt like Ramunda was under that same pressure when it came to Okoye, where it was like, this is a big mistake. And you, I have to do something to put my stake in the ground, you know? And so, but it also sets Okoye up for, for some amazing things as well. It was hard, but that was the, the moment of the movie. No, you're, the- you're absolutely right. She can't be soft. Um, Andy Serkis was Ulysses' claw. Claw, claw, claw. claw. That's claw. right. That's claw. what it was. Right. And claw, yeah. Yeah. And then you get Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Boston. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is so, I mean, she's great in everything. But she's so good. I, I am so excited to see them do more with her in the MCU. Yeah. Right, because we've seen her in these end credit scenes. We've gotten little tastes here and there, but I like that they're starting to flesh her out. And I would totally watch a spinoff of the prequel of their marriage and how this goes down. Because yeah. that was a surprise. I had no idea that that was coming. Oh, she's going to be phenomenal in the Thunderbolts. Like. Yes. She's going to be phenomenal because the way that they're just pulling together all the characters, she's going to be phenomenal. And I love her. She can't do any wrong. Like, yeah. I'll tell you, like, this is where I start feeling bad and I don't feel bad for the younger generation all that often. But this is where I do because we're in the Seinfeld generation. We, rem- we remember her as Elaine. Like, that was our introduction to her. Right. So to s- and she was so good on Seinfeld. And Don't worry, s- TikTok is going to find her. Like, they're going to be like, oh, did you see where, where, you know, this woman from Marvel got her humble beginnings? Yeah. That, that's what it's going to be when they find her on TikTok. Right. So, and, and, and boy, wait until they find out that the reason why Seinfeld ended was because they had the nerve to ask for a million dollars an episode. <laughs> Which <laughs> now is like, that's... It's like that's like standard rate, right? Yeah. But at the time, it was, and people were angry that they asked for it. When that show got canceled, they all blamed the cast for it because they couldn't believe they had the nerve in the mid '90s to ask for a million dollars an episode. But listen, Elaine walked so everyone else could run. You yes. know, what I mean? <laughs> or she ran so everyone else could walk. Yeah. Or how, however it goes, you know yeah. what I mean. So. Well, she, oh, she's making up for it now. That's for sure. Um, All right. Ramonda travels to Haiti to find Nakia, who has been living there since the blip and did not attend T'Challa's funeral. Ramonda asks uh, Nakia to help find and retrieve Shuri. Meanwhile, Riri and Shuri have been taken towards, but they're not necessarily in the underwater kingdom of Talakan, where Neymar 
is called uh, Ku uh, Kulkin, right? Uh, Kukulkan, yes. Um, and is revered as a god. We learn that his mother was human and her people were dying from smallpox. So while pregnant, a shaman brings her and her people a plant to protect them. And when ingested, they fall sick and turn blue, losing the ability to breathe air, but become able to draw oxygen from the sea. The plant also gives him wings on his ankles. So he is born as a part human and a part of this uh, being that lives underneath the water. Upon her death, Namor returns to bury her with her people to find that the Mayans have been enslaved. Since then, he has harbored a bitterness towards the surface world, and he we see that his kingdom is rich in vibranium, and he needs to protect it by killing the scientist. Okay, so a lot happens in this little block. Let's go back to Haiti for a few minutes. Okay. This is the only scene that I bump on a little bit because I don't know if you caught this. When Ramonda goes to find Nakia, one of the kids that she asks where where to find her is Prince T'Challa. I didn't realize that the first time I saw it and I was like, oh, that's her, you know, we are going to spoil it eventually. I'm getting a little bit ahead. But that is her grandson. So at the end, when Shuri asks uh, if if her mother got to meet him. I think that this is the meeting, but they don't really lean into it at all because they start talking about the funeral. And at this time, Nakia says, you know, I just I just couldn't, uh, you know, it was too painful. I had to stay away or, or however she phrased it. Um, so she's pretty much confirming that no one knows about her son. And it's really interesting that now that she's a mother, she didn't really need to be coaxed into helping. All she knows is that Shuri disappeared and Ramonda is asking for her help and she's like, all right, I'm in. I'm surprised like there's no trepidation. There's no, uh, well, there's something you should know now. And obviously they're not going to reveal that now for us in the film. But just as a character moment, I was really surprised that she she didn't hesitate to jump in. Well, I think here's the thing. When Namor comes ashore in Wakanda, when to ch- uh, when uh, Ramonda and Shuri are speaking, Ramonda says to Shuri, there's something I have to tell you about your brother. And that's when the elephants and the animals start freaking out because he comes ashore. So I think she knew. Now, maybe, maybe you're right, and that's the first time that she met him. We don't know because they don't ever flesh that out, but she's at least aware, but she kept that secret. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's why Nakia doesn't hesitate to come. And she says, I may live here, but I'm I'm still a Wakandan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, knowing that she's the only parent in the picture... And she's got to raise him because, as we learn later on, her plan is to always bring him back so that he has his rightful place on the throne. You're right. It doesn't take much much coaxing to get her there because, frankly, I can't argue with her logic when it comes to escaping either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's – it seems like they kind of get into it a little quick. I don't think it's that egregious, but uh, but I think there's validity to what you're saying. Yeah, and I and I and I agree, and I feel like you know she like again like she said you know she's 
she may not have been there, but she's all she's from Wakanda. And so I felt like her going to find Shuri was also her paying homage to her to to T'Challa, to the Black Panther. You know, because again, there is no hero. There is no more hero. And so I feel like th- this is her way to um, to add value to the situation. This is her way to be um, who she's always been, you know, for Wakanda. She's always been the one to go um, into the places that no one wants to go into or no one can and really do those rescue missions. And so this is her way of, you know, giving back... Um, to Wakanda for everything that Wakanda has done for her, she can at least come back, you know. And I and I think she liked it as well because this is that's where she thrived, you know, being out and 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 going on those missions and saving people, and you know, that's where she, where she thrived. And so, um, and I'm happy that she did that as well because again, there is there was no Black Panther, so I feel like between the Midnight Angel and and between, you know, her taking on that role you know it it kind of gives us um uh, a shadow of the black panther it's not the black panther but we still feel like there is a hero someone is being a hero you know both fair points i i guess that's it is that she knows what's being asked of her so even though that she is a mother it's it's kind of like well you wouldn't be asking unless you really, really needed me. So th- this yeah. is her being called upon. And to your point, she has to go now. And it's one mother to another. And again, yes. I, yeah, it, it could. O- she's the only one that could have asked her to do it outside of T'Challa. Like he would have been the only other person that could have come to her and asked her to do that. If Okoye would have came, I don't think she would have went back. Correct. You know what I mean? And so it had to be Ramonda, mother to mother. You know, you understand if this was your child, what would you want someone in your position to do? Absolutely correct. Before we move on, um, I just want to talk about how beautiful all of the flashbacks are for the scene where Namor gives his backstory and uh, his mother's story, really, more than anything else. Um, and I, I just love what it does for him as a villain here because as he's explaining all of this to Shuri, you really see a lot of parallels between these two characters and it's almost like they can level with each other now. So they sort of gain this mutual respect and even though he keeps threatening her, right. you never lose that reason of, yeah. of why he wants to do what he does. And... You know, I just think it's so amazing, too, for for Shuri's character where you can see where she's just such a leader, where she wants to figure out a way she wants. She wants a solution that's not war and she's ready to negotiate. This is the best part of not just I mean, of Marvel in general, but Ryan Coogler, he just writes so well. This is what makes this so brilliant, right? Because. You start to want. You're right. He never stops threatening her, yet you start to wonder if you can trust him. Because he's like, I have to do this. You see. Yes. Well, that's the thing. And like, if you think about it, he his mother's story is incredibly sad. He witnessed it with the Mayans. Now you have this threat to his people, to his kingdom. He needs to protect them because 
if they can't get vibranium from Wakanda, what's going to stop them from getting the vibranium and destroying his kingdom? His logic is so sound that what he's proposing is madness, but you kind of understand it. And like that within itself is kind of horrifying that you can understand where he's coming from, but this is where the writing is just so good. Is it madness or brilliance? Yeah, it, it you know it's amazing to see again that whole idea of leaders having to make hard decisions because um, I feel like him uh, you know Namor and Ramonda they were both kind of like in the same position Ramonda with it being whether it being with Okoye or whether it being with the government you know if you continue this there's going to be a problem and so but that is. The, the other side of it is that that wasn't how Chichala was. He struggled a little bit more with what is right and what is not right. Not, not even what's right and what's wrong. It's like what is right and what's not right, you know? And so that is, these two people weren't, Ramonda and Namor, they weren't, they didn't have that per se struggle. They were a little bit more like, no, this is what it is. And it could be also because of all of the loss that they suffered. You know, um, that was the, the, the thing that became their foundation to be able to say, hey, I have something to protect. And so I'm going to do everything that it takes to protect what it is that I love. Yes. So that, that parallel, there's just so many beautiful parallels um, in this writing, in, the, in this movie. It's amazing. Using Shuri's earrings, uh, Nakia tracks down the kingdom where they are being held. Shuri, meanwhile, tells Namor the Wakandans will not help wage war on the world, and Namor warns that if they don't join forces, he will kill the scientist and destroy Wakanda. He also travels to the surface and tells Ramonda that if she seeks any aid in retrieving the princess, that he will kill her and travel to Wakanda to kill Ramonda as well. So he's going to kill the princess and he's going to kill the queen. Uh, Nakia arrives and extracts Riri and Shuri and returns them to Ramonda and then they go back to Wakanda. Namor arrives to see that they are gone and that Nakia has killed one of his own so he and his warriors leave Talokan and head to Wakanda to launch their attack. The timeline, it's a little confusing here because it almost seems like Namor is in two places at once. Because he's having this conversation with Shuri, and then two minutes later, he's having a conversation with the Queen in Wakanda. Like they, that's the other thing. They don't, I don't think, and perhaps, Ricardo, you can correct me on this, because, as you said, you're more a Marvel stan, far more than I am. I get the feeling, though, that we're, we have, obviously, Wakanda's in Africa. We've got Telokan, I thought was more like Central America, Mm-hmm. But it seem like it seems like they're very close together. Like he can travel very quickly to get to two places. So I mm-hmm. feel like we're losing a little bit of the timeline. Like we don't really know how long Riri and Shuri are with Talokan in his kingdom before this rescue happens. Well, remember he's a mutant. You right. know, he's a mutant. And then there was a scene in the movie where um, they they were like when they were introducing Talokan. They made it seem like this was just one portion of Talokan. Like, so I feel like there are other locations or other bases. But he is a mutant. 
And so that gives him supernatural abilities because they were even questioning that in the in the when they had um, when Ramonda was having the the council with the elders and they were like, how did he get here so quickly? And so that lends his mutant ability, but also it was because what happened was that okay, um, Ramonda called him to the beach. And it was happening at the same time because they planned it out. It was happening at the same time when Nakia went to save them. So she went to find them while he was at the beach talking to Ramonda. And so that happened really quick. And so by the time they left, he had gotten back. Yes. If that makes sense. And it does seem like it happened really quick. But again, he's a mutant. And so... He can travel. And again, there is some there is some stuff that's really muddy because it's like, but Nakia is not a mutant. And so when by the time she came back, she didn't even come back to the same location. Right. Because remember, she went down into the cave. So when they came up, they didn't come out through a cave. They were in open water. Right. And they were brought up. So there, there's a little something in there that is a little inconsistent, just a little inconsistent. Maybe it's the editing or, you know, they ha- but they, they just had to make it work. But if you don't pay close attention, you really won't notice. Yeah. <laughs> I also got the impression uh, with Namor's first meeting that he gave them the shell. So I also thought he could be summoned. Yes, that's what it, that's what it was also. That is exactly what it was with the shell. Uh, we don't see the shell again. No, but right. I assume that is. Well, no. I think that's at least how Ramonda contacted him, and I'll and buy that. That beach doesn't necessarily have to be. I I kind of got the impression that she flew to him after she. No, because there is that brief scene where she's back in in Wakanda. I think she goes to get Nakia back to Wakanda for a beat, and then she goes to seek him out. I think that at, with a two-hour and 43-minute runtime, I think that there are just a few things that are on the cutting room floor that right. would have served to not be on the cutting room floor. The movie could have been five minutes longer. It, it right. would have been fine. And, and perhaps those are some of the things that we're missing. I mean, it's, it doesn't hurt us one way or the other, but it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have hurt us to have it there either. We're, we're losing the important thing here is that Namor's throne was a megalodon mouth, and it looks incredible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the set is insane. It really, but I love how they detail those teeth in there, and you can you can really see it. It it was yeah. beautiful. Uh, I it wish we had more time with with that set. I know, and it and then I wish it was just a little lighter. It was really yes. dark. Yes, yes. It was really dark. It was dark in the theater, but it was even darker on the screen on like the TV screen. Yeah, because I. Like, wait a minute, if I start turning on lights, I still really couldn't see it. So it was a little dark. I wish they would have lit it a little differently. Um, but yeah, the I mean, I'm terrified of the great deep because you don't know what's down there. And so just traveling down there and seeing all those things happening, I was terrified. I'm just scared of those. I'm scared of Telecon. I'm terrified. It made me <laughs> claustrophobic. Exactly. But it's so beautiful. It really and, is. And the people there... They love. They, they're not evil people. They're just going the same thing like Dormalaji. How you you know when you go back to Civil War when um, uh, Scarlet, uh, not Scarlet Witch, um, Black Widow had the little instance 
with um uh, what's her name um Ayo and she said move or I, you will be moved you know you'll be like why are these why are they so mean but they're about protecting at all costs what belongs to them and so everyone has their reason no one's evil but they're going to defend they're going to protect but they're terrifying so. <laughs> yeah and Ter- and Namor going off the deep end here when he's on that throne this is probably I think this is probably his best moment in the movie. Not that you needed to sell him as a villain anymore, but like when I think about his moment, like Ramonda's moment is when she strips Okoye of the title. To me, his moment in this film, and he's good in all of his scenes, but when I, I think like naturally when, when you go, hey, what's the first thing you think about when you think of this character? This is the moment I think about in this film. Right, and you have to start unraveling your villain a little bit here because otherwise, Shuri is prepared to use logic. How is he going to keep pursuing her if you don't start to see him become unhinged? Mm-hmm. You know, interesting enough about this movie, I feel like there are no villains. It's mm-hmm. like like everyone has every. It's like everyone has the flip. It's like a coin yeah. because look at Ramonda as a villain you know at one point yeah. you know according to who she's having an interaction with you can look at Shuri as a villain you know what I mean Depend, you know all the anger and so she was driven by anger and so that was so interesting that you know he is the antagonist um, but again he has same thing with Killmonger right um, he had a reason for what he, you know, why he was doing what he was doing. So his people didn't see, his people saw him as a hero. Yes. You know, but the people, everyone else saw him as a villain, you know? And so it's just so interesting how I like that they didn't make him the bad guy, but they gave him a reason. And so, um, again, it's his intro to the MCU and, you know, he'll have his story told, you know, as we, as we you know, continue. But I just love that. I just love how they did that. Yeah. Same. I think that's truly a testament to the writing. For sure. In yeah. Wakanda, Nakia tells Okoye that she was grief-stricken by the loss of T'Challa and could not return, just as Namor attacks Wakanda by hypnotizing their troops and flooding it with water. He destroys the Wakanda Warcrafts and tracks down Ramonda and Riri and submerges them in floodwaters. Ramonda, in a dying act, saves Riri from drowning before drowning herself or drowning on her own. Namor threatens to return and destroy Wakanda completely if they don't comply with his wishes moving forward. Um, Nakia's story, I said it before, it sounds like a trope, but it's not at all a trope. Um, I don't think we necessarily needed to hear it a second time. Um, I don't think she necessarily needed that moment with Okoye, even though they were both warriors for the kingdom of Wakanda. But I'm glad that they at least got some screen time to flesh that out together. I think that she was probably going to tell Okoye the big secret had they not come under attack in that moment. Yeah, but the same thing happened with Ramonda and Shuri. Yes. He was going to say it, and then they were attacked. Dang it, no more. She was going to say it, and then they were were attacked, you know? And so, um, but again, I do feel like she was going to tell her. And I think that um, 
we saw them the whole first movie, you know, fighting alongside one another. So we needed a moment where we saw them, you know, kind of because again, when even when Killmonger came, right, you had one who was loyal to the throne, to the position, and one who was loyal to the man. And so they're not enemies, but they have different perspective. They have different um, things that are driving them. And so to see them both come back um, at a different point in their life, now she's a mother and now she lost her child, which is her position. You know what I mean? It, it was just a beautiful moment to see them just, you know, come back together. So That's true because you haven't seen them together since. So you did need that beat of there's no mad blood, no bad blood and you're still my sister and, you yeah. know. And even for whatever the story is after this, yes. Like once they have the Wakanda series that they're going to be working on, is like we don't know what, how they're going to interact again. So we needed this moment to kind of give them a clean slate so they can move forward into whatever else the story is going to become. And it also lets the piece breathe a little bit because, you know, they just made this escape with Shuri and now Namor's, I'm going to attack, I'm going to attack, I'm going to attack. So you needed to let it breathe before the attack actually happens, uh, especially yeah. because we are about to get much heavier. Yeah. I hate to say this because we never want to see anything happen to Wakanda. The attack is beautiful, the way that they did it with the water and the way that they flooded it. And I mean, to the film's credit, not a whole lot of CGI here. I mean, like they did a practical build and they flooded that set and it's incredible. Yeah, they they literally um, flooded it. the water bombs. Like, again, I'm terrified of these people. But even going back to the fight on the bridge, which is one of the best fighting scenes I've ever seen. Okoye standing her ground to these terrifying people that can just get up after you whip their behind and just run back in the water like ridiculous. But how like to like you were saying how they orchestrated that scene. It was almost poetic. Yes. Um, and it has such a such a flow. And again, it's like this is not the first time we're seeing Wakanda under attack. But this is the first time we're seeing Wakanda under attack this way, and they don't have a Black Panther, and so it was. It, it was just like it didn't seem. It wasn't like blood and guts, you know, which I'm happy because we've seen that before. But it was a different approach to warfare, and it, like you said, I did. There was a there was a a poet poeticness to it. A beauty. It, there was a there was a, a chaotic beauty to it. They used the uh, the slow motion really well. They didn't overdo it, but they really you know like let it breathe in places, especially when it comes time for Ramonda to make her sacrifice. Yeah, I mean her dying act makes so much sense for her, right? Um, I I think that it's a great final moment for that character, a character that you don't want to let go of, but. It makes sense to do it here. It makes sense that she does go out in the way that she does, saving Riri Williams. Um, yeah, just a really well-done scene. Another well-done scene. I also love the way that Riri was so willing to help. I mean, she she barely knows them, and she sees that they're under attack, and she sees that she can be useful and that this is you know her wheelhouse when they're using the tech, um, and that was something I love so much about the first Black Panther, too, is that uh, they have the technology to remote 
into the battle so that they're still protected. And of course, Namor just goes and exploits that. But Riri right. sees that she can help and she just jumps right in. Um, yeah. I think that regardless of what happened with Chadwick Boseman, I think that they were always going to take Ramonda out in this uh, sequel. But it's just such a shame that you have to do it, especially because, you know, I was thinking about this. You really don't get to see a lot of Marvel mothers and like multi-generational families. Like you do have it with the Van Dimes, but Janet was down in the quantum realm doing God knows what we're going to find out in a couple of weeks. Um, and really the only other person that you have is Frigga, who we also lose. But you don't get to see Frigga develop in the way that Ramonda does. So yeah. this is such a loss for the character. It's such a loss for the fans. But at the same time, you have to take Shuri down all these pegs because you have to give her that fight. Like we talked about how she's ready to lead because she wants to keep the peace with Numor and figure out a viable solution. But that's going to work for her becoming queen. You need to give her a reason to be the Panther. And this is it. And that was it. Even to, to go back from what, to what you were saying about Riri, it's so interesting because in her head, she's not a superhero. Yes. So she found a way through technology to be able to, to contribute to the fight in her way. And I feel like now her being saved by Queen Ramunda from drowning, that is where her superhero begins. Yes. That is that is like the her origin story where it was like she was saved by a hero. And so now on top of her story from where she came from or whatever the case is, this is kind of like where her superhero begins through this experience. It is also that belief in herself because prior we know that she's brilliant she she built the vibranium detector and she built her iron man s her iron heart suit iron really heart. but um there's that parallel to tony's first time out with it where he goes too high and he ignores jarvis telling him eh, don't do that right. and even though she makes that same mistake it doesn't feel like a total retread. It's actually a beautiful parallel because Tony's doing it out of ego and I built this suit and I'm indestructible. And yeah. she's doing it as I have to help Shuri in that moment. I have to take out. Um, it was like a GPS detector that was tracking it was a Shuri. Drone, yeah. yeah, she had mm -hmm. to take it out and without thinking helped in to leap Shuri. Same thing here. Helped in just jumped right in to help Ramonda. Yeah. It's, I, and this is just a random thought, but I'm only I'm only thinking this to myself as like we're having this conversation. You're right. We have these parental figures that we're starting to lose in the MCU. Aunt May, right? We lose Aunt May, yeah. right? She's another one. Isn't it funny? If you think about when Disney bought Marvel, Disney's thing was always that we're going to lose a parent. Now, di we're not doing that in Disney anymore. Just do it in Marvel. We're just going to keep doing it in Marvel now. So Marvel has now taken the Disney element and Disney is keeping everybody together. It's, the what timeline is, is just it, funny. And it, it, I mean, obviously it might work for them. because you, But you even think Tony Stark, he lost his parent. You know what I mean? Black, yeah. Black Widow. 
her feeling like an orphan. Like those are not even her real parents from the in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's something about losing a parent that fuels a fire in you to have a cause, to do something more, to be something more, to really become or step into um, your own because you don't have that parental support system. And so I feel like they're kind of using that um, to build, but I feel like they're trying to find other ways to um, to kind of play around with it so it doesn't get old, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's so sad and it's so heartbreaking and I didn't want Ramona to to die. Like, I that I did not expect that and that messed me up. I was like, oh, an- another person has to die? Oh my God, like... It was a lot. But, I mean, it is sort of Shuri's origin story. Like, we're talking about it. All these superheroes, you know, they they found their strength from loss. It's it's usually about avenging someone. So, for her, now it's her entire family. Whole family. Mother, uh, father, brother, mother. But then she gets a new family because now she has her nephew. And I feel like Nakaya kind of takes on that role of Ramonda, like kind of like a mother figure, big sister, you know, mother figure. So, you know, it's it's like the changing of the guards, you know, like one generation is dying out. Another generation is coming to the forefront. Um, And so, again, because I also see that because, again, Marvel wants to stay true to what Marvel is, but they also want to appeal to the newer generations um, so they can, you know, have newer fans tell old stories in new ways, but also tell new stories that, you know, the younger generations can um, appeal to as well. And I think that the most important thing that they do here in eliminating her entire family, some of it I think was intentional and then other, you know, like we said earlier, obviously this is not the film that they intended to make from the start, but what I think works in their favor here for Shuri specifically is... Shuri is a lovable character, has been since the first film. She's incredibly intelligent, but she's also imperfect. Mm. And I think that you needed to make her that way to make her more relatable. Not that she's not relatable in the first film because you're just drawn to her, but very few people are as intelligent as she is. Mm-hmm. So I think that... But, but, but we're all imperfect. We all act emotionally we all lash out we all second guess the decisions that we make we all act out of anger or out of grief and i think the fact that they made this perfect person so imperfect i think it was important for the character and i think that that's partly why you fall more in love with her as a character by the end of this film and it has nothing to do with your being sympathetic towards her and everything to do with she becomes more like everybody in every obstacle that they throw her way. Well, I think that's also because you sort of have this challenge of making a sidekick a main character. And I I don't necessarily like using that term sidekick because she was such a scene stealer in Black Panther. Mm -hmm. And you knew that her older brother relied on her so much and he respected her. But there is that difference between... You know, like when they're in the car chase in Korea, she remotes in. She's not actually there. In this film, she is in the car chase. You're literally putting her in the driver's seat. So I think that that was also a part of it is that you had to make her much deeper than anything that we've seen before. 
Yeah, yeah. No, and, and it allows us to connect because, you know, again, like you, like you were saying, Sean, there are not many people in the world that are as smart as she is, you know, and I think when, you, when we think about just people in general, um, we may be different colors, we may be different creeds, but we all understand pain. We, you know, we can relate to pain, we can relate to love, we can relate to heartache, we can relate to, you know, there's so many other things. So it does humanize her, which I think they did a phenomenal job. Um, and then, but they did, she didn't lose her, her brain, she didn't lose her technology, that part of her that we knew and loved. Um, we just saw it kind of come together in a different way, you know? And so again, the writing was... They, they had a hard task, <laughs> and I feel like they did a phenomenal job with what they had. People had expectations. I honestly don't know what people were expecting them to do, but they had a very hard task, and they did a very good job with this. Back in the U.S., DeFontaine tells Ross that she bugged the beads at the crime scene and Ross has been arrested for treason. Shuri returns to her lab and begins to restart her efforts to make a synthetic harp uh, heart-shaped herb. Uh, the Wakandans flee to the Jabari Mountains for protection and worry about Namor while not having a crowned leader of the nation. Shuri perfects her Midnight Angel technology while she successfully creates a heart-shaped herb. Um, and she then ingests the herb and goes to the ancestral plane. Alright, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Let's go back a few minutes here. Um, to the scene where she is in Ross's home and tells him that she had everything bugged. And the perfection in this is that the whole time she's been telling him, don't call me director, call me Val. And the minute he calls her Val, she's like, it's director Dave Fontaine and takes the handcuffs out of her pocket. It, she's Again, she just slays in this scene. She really does. No. And, and it's like, I don't care what our past relationship was like where it, it's all business now. It's great. But yeah. I, I love how he's still so loyal to Shuri and Wakanda. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, it's a, it, they built a relationship. They've been through some stuff, you know, back to the claw thing. And I mean, they've been through a lot and I think is important to show, because again, he represents the government. You know, and so everyone else in the government have been nothing but double crossing. And they, so he's the one glimmer of hope, you know, to Wakanda, you know, um, that everyone is not bad. You know, everyone isn't double crossing. Everyone isn't. And so I'm happy that they keep him in the spot that he's in, because, again, it just gives that hope. Like, everyone is in bad. Can we find one person that wouldn't, you know? And so that loyalty that he has for them, I mean, I think it's a it's a beautiful love story. And they owe each other, you yes. know? Yeah, I love that uh, even though he doesn't have as much screen time in this one, the role is still so integral. For sure. Um, let's talk about the ancestral plane. The shocker of shockers when you see that Michael B. Jordan has returned to play Killmonger again, I remember when she turns the corner and you start to see him in silhouette sitting in that chair, I fell back in mine. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And what they do so well here, like we talked earlier about how like Namor and Shuri 
are very, very similar. You see here where Killmonger and Shuri, when he's telling her to use her power for revenge, which is what she wants, mind you, you see where they are so cut from the same cloth. And the writing, again, is so good. And this is where you just say, oh, it's another point where, like you said, it's a villain without being a villain, right? But it's just like, he's so justified in his reason, and she's going to be justified in her. The whole thing was just so well done. It was so good to see him again. It was. It was so good. I, You know, I, I go back to the situation with Killmonger's dad and Shuri's dad, you know, the brothers that um, both had reasons for what they what they were doing, you know, and for their decisions. And so, again, I just love the way that they keep it in the family. They're constantly, you know, um, not ma- again, even Killmonger, like he wasn't a villain, you know what I mean? And so the fact that they brought him I was hoping it was going to be Ramonda. I just wanted her to see her mother again. I wanted her to get that moment where her mother says, uh, Shuri, show them who you are. You know what I mean? The same thing that she did for um, T'Challa. I wanted her to do that for Shuri. But the fact that they brought him on, it changed the game, but it made sense because they had the same fire. They had the same questions, especially after finding out that Wakanda wasn't the only place that had vibranium. Oh, wait a minute. Just like Okoye said, so all the legends, all the fables, everything is questionable now. And I feel like in the Wakanda Forever series, these are some of the things that they need to tackle. Like, how do we reconcile that? You know, was it all a lie? We can't throw the whole thing away because we knew something happened, you know, but how do we reconcile that and make sense of it? Because vibranium is not only in Wakanda you know what I mean but yeah that 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 was a shocker for me I did not expect him to be around that corner and it was just a good a good intense moment like that was a such a, a on your seat like I was like are they gonna fight like, you know, <laughs> like what's gonna happen it was very intense yeah, I remember the audience just audible gasps in the theater, even though we didn't get to see it opening weekend because that was our anniversary weekend that this came out. But we saw it like the next week and it was still shocking audiences. I'm so glad that moment wasn't spoiled. And Ricardo, I completely agree with you that as much as you want it to be Ramonda and you want them to have that perfect moment, you want Shuri just to have one more time with her mother. Um I just feel like he was the perfect person because as, as you put it, they're cut from the same cloth. They have that same reasoning. And even the questions that he's prompting her with too, like he throws Namor's line back in her face of don't ask how, ask why. Um, And the way that he puts it to her, are you going to be like your brother? Are you going to be like me? I think that's also setting up that Shuri's going to be both. You're going to get the best of both worlds through Shuri. And he and again, he was also the right person because when you go to the ancestral plane, you're expecting to see the Black Panther. Yes. Right? Right? Or uh, uh, some sort of so he was the Black Panther. So I felt like he also represented T'Challa. Like this is a Black Panther coming to pass the mantle of Black Panther to the next Black Panther. Yes. And so well, he's the only person that could have done that outside of um, Chadwick. 
Like right. it, it, wasn't, it had to be him. This is one instance where, I mean, like, of course, it's unfortunate that we didn't have Chadwick in this case, but it's like, this is where they, they took a horrible situation and not only did they make it work, but they thrived in this situation in this case. And even just right down to, like, I, I love how they chose this wardrobe for him because you can still see every single one of his scars uh, because they left, you know, mm-hmm. his chest open. I The whole thing was just so brilliant. And what I love, too, about the writing in particular here with his dialogue is he's still so self-righteous. Yes. Right. And, and and the whole time we've had this film that is really being set up to p- pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman. But they weren't afraid for him to sit there and say, your brother was too noble. Your father would have let that girl die. Like, so he's still kind of calling out his imperfections. So it's on brand with the character. And it, it like, I think that also makes the film seem a lot more real. Right. Like that even in this moment where it's not only the character, but also the person that you're mourning, like he's not going to glad hand him either. Like he's still going to be Killmonger at the end of the day. Everything about the way that they did this just made so much sense for the MCU and for the characters involved. And even the parallels with Shuri being able to regrow the herb. I love that Namor was the key to that with what he gave her. The bracelet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing the way that they managed to bring everything full circle in this moment. It's just perfect. Like that, that for me, cause I was just like, how the heck is she going to grow this heart shaped herb? Like she needs something, you know? And so the fact that if the vibranium was in more than one place, that means the heart shaped herb has to be in more than one place. And so you, you see what I'm saying? And so that made so much sense for them to bring that part into the story because now there is hope. So the other question for me is like, well, is there more? And it's like, how do the, how does that work in Talo Khan? Yes. Like, is, does everyone, you know what I mean? I have so many questions about that. Is it hidden? Like, cause now it's underwater. Like they don't have it like how it was in so does it grow underwater and it grows on you know so many questions about this hard table but the fact that she that he was the key like you said it just brought the story full circle and and also so that means he's still not a villain you know what i mean like he's yep. really not a villain right he's still a key to the good you know, um, to, he's played an intricate part in bringing the Black Panther back. Like, he was the key to bring the back, Black Panther back. So, oh, I'm no. getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just all so well done. And then even, even Shuri for a beat, you're kind of like, is she going to be the villain now? Because she comes back as the Black Panther. She realizes her power and she is ready to go. And even in the conversation that she has with Mboku earlier, um, you know, he says that her, her brother wanted him to look out for her. And I love the relationship that's developing between the two of them. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like brotherly or romantic, but I, I love where it's going. And he has to be the one to sort of pull the reins in on her now because she's just ready to act purely out of emotion. 
Yeah, and and so and that's interesting because the roles were reversed because that's Mbaku. Yes, right. That, that is how he is, and so I feel like when it's almost like losing a parent or losing someone, it's like you know once you lose that person, now everyone has to step up and take a different role, and so even with him, I believe that he's going to be the king. Like he's going to be because again, when you look at it, who else is there? that can be level-headed? Who else is there that has rank that can be that level of a leader? He's been doing it for the Jabari tribe. There isn't no one, no one else from the other tribes um, has led like he has led. They've been counsel, but you don't really see them being strong leaders like he is. And so again, Wakanda in the series is going to be interesting to see how everyone's roles switch and change. Um, and how they, you know, how they take it to the next level. I am really wondering if that's the seed that they're trying to plant now is them as king and queen. That's what I, that, I don't know if it's going to be, because I feel like she's still going to be the Black Panther. For sure. He's going to be like the king, because you need the, the you need the, um, I, I think the days of king and Black Panther at the same time are over. Yeah. So, like someone has to, so Ramunda was the queen, Shuri was the Black Panther. So it's like now he'll be the king and Shuri will be the Black Panther. And then once, you know, um, this, I don't want to give spoilers, but when, whenever there's another Black Panther, I feel like Shuri kind of moves back into that technology space or, you know, so it's like, how do they, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. They have a hard task. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's incredible seeing him as the voice of reason because now we'll, we'll kind of wrap up the rest of the film here. We'll get through the rest and then we'll we'll break it down. Like he's the voice of reason because he's the one that tells them like, hey, and now he's the one that's always and he said earlier, we'll kill the fish man. Well, he doesn't want to kill the fish man now because he knows that it's Kuku Khan. It's somebody that they look at as a god. So this is going to mean eternal war. So... Mm-hmm. um they board the ship, they go to the ocean where Shuri temporarily captures Namor while the Wakandans battle his warriors. Namor begins to destroy the ship, so she crash lands it in the desert to keep him from the sea. He stabs her with his spear and starts to head to the sea. However, she breaks free from the spear and uses the ship's jet engine to burn him. And then upon seeing her mother in the ancestral plane, we finally get that scene that we talked about earlier, right? That Ricardo brought up where show him who you really are. And she offers Namor a peaceful alliance, which he accepts while only temporary. Riri is returned to MIT and Baku challenges for the throne and Okoye rescues Ross from his capture and his arrest. Shuri then travels to Haiti to burn her funeral robe with Nakia and finally grieve for T'Challa. And that's where we learn that in secret T'Challa and Nakia had a son who she is raising in Haiti where his name is Usant, but his uh, Wakandan name is T'Challa. So... A lot happens here, but a lot happens very quick, actually, for a movie that does have a two-hour and 43-minute runtime. This is not where a chunk of their time is spent. I mean, in reality, in a movie that is called Black Panther Wakanda Forever, you certainly get Wakanda Forever because we spend an awful lot of time in Wakanda. We spend so little time with the Black Panther, though, right? Because it's not really until the end of the film, maybe two hours and ten minutes in, that you get Shuri as, uh, as the Black Panther. Um, 
I but I totally love her in this role. I love her in the role. I and I I'll be honest with you like I kind of and maybe it's because I was growing up a I was more of a DC fan. And I bring up Batman on the podcast more than I should considering it's not an IP of Disney. Um but I do love here that they kind of draw this parallel where she's now she's a, she is a superhuman because she does take the heart-shaped herb. Bruce Wayne's just rich. He's, there's nothing about him that's a superhero. But they're kind of fueled by the same thing, at least in the earlier Batman film. You know, yeah. the, the first dozen times that we see Thomas and Martha, you know, get shot by Jack Napier, whoever it is that we're developing as the villain. Because that, that t- tends to change, too, oddly enough. But they're fueled by revenge. They're fueled by just blunt force anger. And I think that that's what I like so much about her. And that she is, as much as I love Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther and I love T'Challa, this is a complete change. Um, And it does kind of play that tug of war with your emotion where she's not as noble. She is acting out of ruthless aggression. But when she just, when she screams Wakanda forever and that jet turns off, it's, it's not anything I thought we'd ever see out of a Black Panther. And I'm glad that we did see it out of a Black Panther. And I'm glad that we saw it out of her. I, I just think that she is completely outstanding in, in this passing of the torch. <laughs> Literally she and figuratively, it. it's the passing of the torch. <laughs> and you're right, she earns it. No, I literally, like, I... To go back to what you were saying about even with her burning the, the garments, is just amazing because Nakia was there. And so now Nakia is this mother figure that is that is their brooding. And and I feel like Nakia and Umbaku will be like mother and father figures for her to help guide her through, you know, her journey as a Black Panther. But also with Toussaint, you know, now we have the multiverse. And so there's so many things that they can do to expedite him taking a role and I feel like it was so smart of them to do it this way because it's not like I feel like we were so worried and concerned about well man who's going to replace him don't replace Chadwick and so now they have made the transition easy because whoever it's going to be in the future is going to be his son Yes. and it'll be a different person but it'll be well received because we already have been introduced to him as his son so it's not like Oh, we want bring back, you know, uh, bring we can't bring him Chadwick back, but they just made it such an easy transition for us to embrace a new Black Panther. And I think it was very, very, very again, it was a hard job, but it was very smart of them. Brilliant. I feel like we really are getting the best of both worlds because we know that the lineage is going to continue with the sun. But I remember when this happened the big outcry immediately after everybody started mourning the loss of Chadwick Boseman was Shuri. I I feel like everybody just was like, okay, it's hers now. Um, So I love that we got to see that play out. Um, Like I said, I think she earned it. Um, My Batman comparison is going to be, I love her suit. I was very concerned that having a female in the panther suit, we were it was going to read Catwoman, but it's totally her own. Um, I, I actually kind of like the suit better than than Chadwick's suit. 
I, I think it works with the gold. I think it's perfect for her. Um, I love that moment for her. And, and I just love that we got to see, even if she doesn't continue as the Black Panther, if the next time we see it is uh, Prince T'Challa, I like that we got this taste of her doing it. Um, and I, I'm wondering now, you know, we were talking about how they they wrote Chadwick's illness right into the script as far as, you know, they, they didn't make up a cover story. They allude to Prince T'Challa or King T'Challa being sick. Um, looking at his relationship with Nakia, I'm wondering, because we, they got their moment at the end of Black Panther. They kiss at the end. We, we got that little taste of the romance. Um, I love that we know for certain that in some capacity they were back together and that they did start a family. But I'm also wondering if the illness does play a factor here. And knowing Nakia's character, was it a practical decision? Did T'Challa, knowing that he was ill, want to start a family and continue this lineage knowing that he wasn't going to be there to do it himself. And I'm wondering if that also played into why they decided to keep Prince T'Challa a secret and raise him outside of Wakanda. Um, we really have that timeline and we don't really know how long he was sick and if he knew that. And I'm, I'm wondering if this was, if, if we're supposed to take away that this was all intentional. That, that's, a, that's a phenomenal observation um, because we just think, you know, the way that the story implies is just like, oh, they started a family, then he got sick. But that perspective is so good. And I feel like there's more than enough room for them to unpack that in a Wakanda series or in the next Black Panther or, you know, um, as his story progresses um, and goes on. But I love that. I absolutely love that. And again, the only person that can really tell that story is Nakia. Right. Because she's the one that had the baby with her. <laughs> so you I'm know? wondering if that series does become more Nakia-centric. Because it, it really didn't occur to me until like the second and third time seeing it. Because you're in Shuri's POV. You're... Right. You're still grieving, but there's that happy ending of I didn't lose all of my brother. There's still this piece of him. And then it, it clicked with me and I was like, well, Nakia is still going to live in Haiti. She still did this incredible thing. She saved Shuri. She's as much of a hero as Shuri is in her own right. And she's still like, nope, I'm not going to live in Wakanda. And, and that's what kind of got my wheels spinning a little bit. Yeah. Well, even last thing, um, even I feel like even um, Shuri being the Black Panther now, she is a good, um, it's almost like uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, teaching wax on wax off. She's the right person to teach him what it means to be the Black Panther. And then Umbaku about what it means to be a king. Because as far as we know, we don't know that he has any children. We don't know if he's married. Like they never allude to any of that. And so we have him you know, um, Prince T'Challa, who's going to be king one day, who's going to be Black Panther one day. And so he has people around him to nurture him and to train him. And so, again, that's why I feel like this series is so important because we want to know what happens to the Midnight Angel. We want to know what happens to Dora Milaje. We want to know, you know, what is actually going on in Wakanda after all of this loss. This place still has to thrive. It still has to exist. What's going to happen with the Vibranium? Are they going to go 
you know, are they going to be a little bit more, you know, what's going to happen? And so, so many questions about the future of Wakanda. And how do they rebuild? Because you've got the elders that have moved in with the, we didn't even talk about this. They've moved in with the Jabari at this point because their city was taken over. So they, they literally have to rebuild everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and what the MCU does very well is when they do a series, when they do something for television on Disney Plus, they seamlessly blend it in to yeah. the films, and and what they do is they they just kind of it's exposition, right? But they do it with so much depth that, on the one hand, I know it frustrates some people that like, well, now I have to watch this television series to understand what happens in this movie. To a point, I get that, but I think that if you can fill in a lot of the blanks and kind of complete the story, and then you pick up, because this is the thing, right? Like, Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios, they're really smart. There was the big upcry, don't you recast the role of T'Challa? We didn't, but you're going to have King T'Challa as the Black Panther, but we didn't recast him. You know what I'm saying? So this is going to be their opportunity to not only fill in the gaps, but also jump the timeline so that if five years from now we get the third Black Panther film, you don't have to wait for this this child actor who, by the way, you could not have picked a more Chadwick right. Boseman lookalike. Like, if you took Chadwick Boseman and just shrunk him down to the age of six, <laughs> this kid is a dead ringer. Yeah. And he's, but he's so good. The scene with him when he goes, my name is Prince T'Challa, I'm the son of King T'Challa. For, you get a lump in your throat, but the yeah. kid is so good. Um, and he's so cute. He's just got he's so a lovable. smile and a sparkle in his eyes. He's adorable. But, I, you know, to, to add to what you were saying, I think what they did with Disney Plus was the best thing because we don't have time to give everyone's backstory in a two-hour film and then talk about what the film is about. And so we need these Disney Plus series to to introduce new characters. So once we get to the films, you don't need an introduction. You're just going right in, you know, to build, you know, they're using Disney Plus to do world building. They're building the world. They're building, um, you know, um, you know, even the story with She-Hulk and, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We can't really, we don't have time to go through all of that in the movie. So they're using this as an opportunity and I think it is brilliant. So I think with, even with the Wakanda series, they're going to use this as well to build the, continue to build the world of Wakanda outside of what we've seen from the three movies that we've seen Wakanda in, which is end, um, Endgame, Black Panther, um, Wakanda Forever, actually for Civil War, you know? Yes. Right. Well, that's it. Bridge movies are boring, but television series are fine. And that's basically what they've done. They've eliminated bridge films. Yeah, absolutely. And then they're giving you something for value on your dollar because, oh, by the way, you're getting four new Marvel television shows this year. And it keeps us interested as subscribers. They know what they're doing. Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. Smart. And now Gunn is trying to do that for DC. Let's see how it goes. It's yeah. he's, he's, he's created a little bit of a mess Without going no, too far off the deep end. He's inheriting a mess. I don't think he's creating one. I think well, he's yes trying to do his best. The thing is, so here's the deal. Without getting too much off track, because I know we want to wrap this up soon. In, in, in Marvel, you have a multiverse where, they basic, where it's nothing but chaos. Because now everything you see, you're like, okay, we saw it. But that doesn't really mean anything because this person can be brought back somewhere else. We've, you know, hello, Doctor Strange. 
But DC is like, well, that's the other verse. It's like, <laughs> no, stop. It's like, this is just James Gunn's way of saying, I don't want Robert Pattinson as Batman, although I thought he was really good. I don't want him as Batman, but we owe him money, so, like, he's not my Batman, but it's Batman. You know, like I'm saying, like, it's 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 a mess that he inherited, but he continues to step in mud and track mud all over the place. <laughs> it's like, it it's like, no, just... Just roll with Pattinson. He's fine. Okay, you find a way to make it work with him. Yeah. Like there was no reason to get rid of Gal Gadot, but you've done that. I, I'm sure. Like, Gunn's gonna do a good job, and to his credit, he's not afraid to, to leave any blood in his path on the way. But I think that he's just murkying the waters. Worse than DC already made it because. Now, you're going to get a Flash film, and then you're going to have to recast him. <laughs> you know, we already know that that's coming. I'm excited to see how he's going to redeem this. So, you know, I'm sitting back waiting with bated breath to see what becomes of the DC universe. <laughs> it's almost become a joke at this point. Yeah. And while Marvel continues to fly, but I give James Gunn a lot of credit, it, probably was not an easy decision to walk away from such structure yeah and such success but he wants to go put his own name on it i get it i get he it wants to be the, he wants to be the feige of of dc and i think that i think that's a part of his challenge at at marvel is that he's he's brilliant but he wants to be the brilliant like you know he wants to be that guy and it's like you can be that guy but you just can't be kevin so he's like, I'll just go do my own, <laughs> my own thing. So again, but he's talented. So let's see how this plays out. Yeah, Tell I me. think 10 years from now, this is either going to be the savior or the total collapse of DC. I to think that's how you're going to look at this in 10 years. Is, is, DC is going to be called the destruction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it destruction? Destruction yeah. Comics? Yeah, basically. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's what it's going to become. All right. Let's wrap up and give some of our final thoughts here on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But before I jump into the total final say, Ricardo, I want to get your viewpoint on this. I think everybody thinks at this point that Angela Bassett should win an Oscar. I, I mean, she's shown that there's no reason why she shouldn't, right? I mean... She's up against tough competition, but I think it's hers to lose. I want to get your perspective, though, on the costuming, because you do costuming professionally. You can make a case here that these costumes could win an Oscar. More times than not, though, I feel like the the category tends to go to a film where it's a period piece, and they get it right. In your opinion, is it harder to world build costumes or to do period pieces and with that same thought in mind do you think that it's fair or unfair that the period pieces more times than not tend to take this category well i understand why the period pieces always win the categories because if you look at the costumes for a period piece versus a modern movie or film we all know what we wear <laughs> in this modern times. And so there's something about taking us back into a world or into a time and building 
um, you know, building these wardrobe um, and these costumes and these characters, because that's really what costume designers do. They don't design clothes, they design characters. And so taking us back into these times um, and making um, stories that, that have passed and times that have passed, materializing them, there's something about that um, that's exciting. There's something beautiful about that. There's something that you want to honor and so I get it. Now, what what um, Ruth has done with Marvel is she has built a world that doesn't exist, um, but she's also used realistic references and pulled. You know, even even the even the people that do that created the dialect of Wakanda, like you know, and the the typography, the 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 language where you write and you speak. You know, we're, they're pulling it from somewhere, right? And they're creating something else. And I think that is, it's a little bit harder. Um, well, actually, recreating something is always harder because people can tell when it's not it. It's like, oh, that's not 19, that's not 17th century. It, it, you, you almost had it, but you know, so that's a little harder to do because you're doing something that actually existed. But when you're creating something that hasn't existed, I feel like that's why, you know, if, if we wouldn't win for costumes, it would be for that reason where it's like, Oh, it's an imaginary where like avatar wouldn't win for costuming because it's imaginary or, you know, you don't see like animated series wins for, because it's imaginary, so it's that idea of, oh, this is not real, but it is real, you know what I mean? It's real, it's pulled from real references, and we create something, and so I really believe that we should win. I'm saying we, like, I was worked on it. I didn't work on it. <laughs> You're invested, totally invested. <laughs> yeah, I'm so invested, but I do believe that, um, that Wakanda should win um, because the culture, like, the, the, the culture, the colors, um, just the homage that it pays to African culture, you know, and, and just the intricacies. You can see the, um, the tusk earrings that Suri wore in, in the time of more. I mean, there's so much intricacy that goes into it in detail that it this should be a winner. Like, we should win. Um, hopefully that answers the question because, you know, I can go off on a tangent, but I really believe that they, they should win because it's beautiful. It's it's amazing. You know, I absolutely agree. And I I think that that's, you know, to sort of piggyback off what off of what you were saying, that's sort of like been the stigma with these comic book movies is that it's quote unquote made up. But like what people don't realize is that if you miss, if you don't do it correctly, you are not going to believe these characters the way that we as Marvel fans do. And I think that if if Angela Bassett wins, I think that that would completely change the game for how people see these comic book films and they would finally be able to be taken a lot more seriously in the industry because now people do tend to write them off as like, oh, it's the moneymaker. And mm -hmm. no, there's there's a reason we love them so much. It's for, forget the box office numbers. They're just amazing stories. And sure. that's why I'm, you know, I'm really rooting for her. But I, I think... I, I mean, I've never seen it where somebody wins 
Critics' Choice and the Golden right. Globe, I, I, I don't think she's getting derailed. I would be shocked. Yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing, too, I think specifically back to the costume conversation, you know, like you said, they're paying homage to the traditional uh, traditional African culture, right? And what what they do in this film, they do it a little bit more in the first Black Panther film than they do here, but you not only have the Wakandans that are living in a city, but you have the Jabari's, more traditional tribe, right? Where a lot of what they're wearing is found objects. They hand-carve the mask, right? The mask that M'Baku wears when he challenges T'Challa, yeah. right? Or like you said, um, when Shuri's got the tusk earrings, you know, you know that they're not they're not going and taking this off of off of an animal that they're hunting, right? This is more or less a found item, and that's what a lot of that traditional garb is. And so, you know, they're not going they're not going to Macy's and buying this stuff. Like they're making it. It's by hand. It's these handmade items, handmade outfits, handmade masks. So you have that just juxtaposed against what the Wakandans are wearing in the city, juxtaposed against what Ross and Val are wearing in the United States, juxtaposed against the Talakanians. So like I'm, it's so you're talking in in time, you're you're talking about seven or eight different cultures. They look seven or eight different ways. Some are imaginary. Some is what we are wearing now. Some is paying tribute to things that they've worn forever, right? So to pull all of that together, you know, I think that sometimes there is this unfair bias against, oh, well, look, they made Abraham Lincoln in a wool jacket. Well, yeah, of course. They're not going to put him in Under Armour. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just – and it's it's nothing against the people that are pulling that off either, but – I think that eventually the argument just gets a little worn out. I think the fact that you have so many different cultures, so many different colors, so many different canvases, so many different materials, and you put them all in this one film. Because even the Jabari, now that they're in the mountains, it's snowing. You have them in a completely different outfit that you saw than you saw in the first film. So, like, yeah. like I, I do think that this film is deserving of that Oscar. Definitely the makeup, I think, as well. But I think the costuming... it. it it's so underappreciated by the naked eye, right? And I think that there certainly should be taking home. I, I think that this movie's going to take home a lot of hardware this year. It, I mean, and I believe that it should because, again, it's all storytelling. Like, costume design is telling the story through costume. Hair design is telling the story through hair. Sound design is telling the story through sound. And so um, they did a phenomenal job with telling the story. Um, and it's a beautiful story, and the costumes are beautiful. And so I'm rooting for them, and I'm rooting for Angela. And I really hope that they get their just due. And again, like you were saying, you know, um, Jackie, um, the, the, the comic book stories don't always get the best um, you know, they don't get their, their just due. And I think this is definitely a pivotal moment for comic book stories, um, comic book, you know, stories that are coming to um, to real real life, you know, that these are stories as well. And, and we love them because we see ourselves in them, you know, just like the period pieces, you know, just like, um, you know, I worked on Lincoln, you know, I did a thing for CNN, Lincoln so I did period piece you know and I don't really relate to that world it's beautiful but I don't relate to it because 
it's a different world, but I relate to the story of, you know, Wakanda. And so I really hope they get, they win. I really do. Same. All right. Let's give our final thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Ricardo, you are our guest. I will let you bat lead off. <sighs> so my final thoughts are, you know, it, it they did a beautiful job. They did. A, they again. I said it many times during this uh, this podcast that they had a very hard job, and I feel like Ryan did a phenomenal job. The the cast did a phenomenal job. The crew did a phenomenal job with pulling together a very hard. You know, they lost number one on the call sheet in real life. And so the designer, like working in television, you build relationships. You, you, you know, it's not just a job. You spend 12 to 17 hours to 18 hours a day with these people so to become your family. So to move on beyond that, um, for every department, the sound people that had to mic him, that, that he's not there to be mic'd anymore. The, the costume designer that designs the Black Panther costume for the Black Panther, Chadwick, you know, Everyone had a lot to push through, and they did a phenomenal job with pivoting from whatever the original ideas were. They did a phenomenal job pivoting and setting up the future of, of, of the Black Panther story. Phenomenal job. I couldn't agree more. Um, this was just another banger from Ryan Coogler. Um, like, he didn't just take lemons and make lemonade. I mean, like... He made a lemon sorbet, a lemon cake, lemon cello, like everything that you could possibly do. He, he just took it and ran with it. It's incredible. Um, and, and not just the way that they handled losing our Black Panther. Um, just writing another deep and complex villain. Um, like I, we, we had talked a lot about that when we reviewed the first Black Panther, how... Um, how you know Ricardo said something like this before that Killmonger and Namor really they're they're not really villains they're antagonists because their their way of thinking is so believable and they stand behind it and they're it, it's the conviction that does it and he managed to do that all over again with Namor and it's it's incredible I'm not saying that Namor is a better villain but it's just amazing that he managed to capture that lightning in a bottle too um and the way that that balanced out with what they did for Shuri, um, yeah, the the whole thing is incredible. I I would say that this this is one I'm giving a, a perfect for. Yeah, I'm giving this a perfect score. You know, we've got a handful of films in over 200 episodes that we've handed out a perfect score to. I think we gave one to the first Black Panther, actually. We did. Um, and uh, you give one here. And I'll be honest with you, if I remember correctly, the first Black Panther film was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, it right? Was. So here's my thing. And, and I don't mean this to put down any of the hard work that anybody in the industry has done, but we've seen about half of the Best Picture nominees up to this point. I would have probably traded Banshees of Ira Sheeran out and put this one in, based on the ones that we've seen. Um, to, to me, of the ones we've seen, it would be between this and Top Gun. But with Top Gun, because they did so much, what are they, 400 hours of footage with real fighter jets? Like, I'm sorry, but that means something. On top of the fact that they made a great film, and it's nothing against Banshees, 
But I thought that I thought Maverick was better than Banshees, and I thought this was better than Banshees, and I think that this was as good as the first Black Panther film. And I would have said that regardless of what happened with Chadwick Boseman. Like, let's say that Chadwick Boseman's contract was up. They had they had a limit. They had killed the character off in the MCU. I still would have given this a perfect score. The fact that you are in the middle of writing a film for him and you need to tear it down and start from scratch and you still made a heartfelt, seamless film, to me is even more impressive. So, like, th- there, there's a part of me that, like... And it's an unfair bias, but there's a there is a part of me that, with that in the back of my mind, says you may have even made a better film the second time than you did the first. And but I, I'd say that it's as good as the first film. I think it should have gotten a Best Picture nomination because I just think the uphill battle that they're up against, they pulled it off. The film is good enough where they pulled it off, and it goes back to the costumes and the hair and makeup and the acting, like. To me, this movie is a total package. Like, to me, this is up there. It, it is up there with the Banshees. It is, you know, but I, I can only speak of the films that we saw. It's up there with an Elvis. It's up there with, um, with the Fablemans. I'd have swapped it for Avatar, honestly. It's a better film I, than Avatar. You could have swapped it with Avatar. I, 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 yeah, maybe, maybe you could have swapped it with Avatar. I'll give you that one, too. Um, but I, I think that, I think that it, I think it could have been nominated, and I think that it would have really made a case for being named the best picture at the Academy Awards. Right. Um, but we're interested in hearing from you, our listeners. You can let us know what you think about uh, Wakanda Forever on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you could email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Ricardo, thank you so much thank for joining you. us, especially on such short notice. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug where people can find your work, any social media that you'd like to throw out there for people to find? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Like, talking is one of the things I do the best. And so forget if you get me in a conversation talking about something that I actually like. And so I've never had the opportunity to talk in a public forum about Marvel and about my, you know, just love for the stories that they tell. And so um, thank you for having me. And so you can find me on um, all social media um, as Ricardo Luizon, that's R-I-C-A-R-D-O-L-O-U-I-S-O-N, and that's Facebook, that's Twitter, that's YouTube, you know, everywhere. And I'm, I'm working on a podcast that I can't wait to share with the world, so um, you will be hearing from me in the future in the podcast world. So I'm coming back, because I, po- I was podcasting in like 2009, 2010, so I'm coming back with the um. event. So exciting. And I know I really can't recommend enough that you go follow Ricardo. Like I said, we met working at the Hamptons Film Festival and he is just one of those people that comes into your life and you never want them to leave because he is just such a light. Seriously, on Instagram, he reminds you to drink your water. I'm not kidding. So if if you need that reminder and you just want that positivity in your life, please go give Ricardo a follow. Oh, thank you, Jack. Oh, man. Well, I had so much fun today. I had a lot of fun. We did too. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, We have news of the week coming up, but first a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of. Jackie helped us with every step of the planning. She helped us pick the right time of year to visit to make sure we don't have big lines. And she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget. 
She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions. These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice and making it all a little bit easier. Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen. We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was an unforgettable family trip to Disney World, and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, I would love to help. You can reach out to me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Listeners of the show also get a 10% code with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. It's a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. So to see all of Kelly's artwork, all of her products, all of her services, it is going to be online at uh, KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. News this week is still Marvel-related and... It is just so on brand for the person involved, and frankly, it's some of the best form of advertising I have ever seen for a film that's already super hyped. When I first heard this story, I was like, is this a joke? It's probably a joke, but they took the joke and they ran with it. We are, of course, talking about Scott Lang's memoir, which was written by Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. And it's called Look Out for the Little Guy, because of course it is. Uh, This is up there, I dare say, with anything that Ryan Reynolds has ever done for Deadpool. I was also a big fan of what they did with She-Hulk, that they had the number that you could call for legal assistance. Uh, This this might be better, because it's a real book. It's not just like a book cover that he posed for. It is a real book. That you can purchase on Amazon. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, I, yeah. I love the. He's the headshot with his head resting on his hand. It's it's like the um that Doctor Phil knockoff on what is that the progressive commercials? The yes. guy that's trying to help you not be your parents, and he's got the yes. book in the background yep. where he's resting his head on his head. It's it's perfect. I I was so excited for Quantum Mania to begin with. This has me even more excited. We are a couple of weeks away, but I am so excited for Quantum Mania. I'm excited because your Valentine's Day gift was made very easy this year. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul Rudd. <laughs> Thank you, Paul Rudd. Are you going to be purchasing the book? Are you excited about it? Or do you think that this is just a joke that we are taking way too far? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget to follow us on the social media, either Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for everything related to the show, it's going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. (laughs) 
On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.